Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. And on the phone with me from Pro Football Focus and the Unexpected Points podcast is Kevin Cole making a return to the show. What is up, Kevin? How are you? I'm great. You know, I'm doing, well, I guess I'm doing better than Vikings and uh, Vikings kicking Twitter that I've I've, I've seen. But you know what? I'll say I was a little surprised. The reaction was kind of like, yep. You know, we expected that. So maybe the heartbreak actually wasn't as large as I was expecting on that one. No, I saw somebody's tweet where they said that as soon as the kick went wide to the right, they just got up, went outside, and mowed their lawn and felt nothing. And that's kind of, <laughs> and that, that is a that is I think where the fans are at now with the kicking. I mean, it's happened so many times that you know you're an odds person and a tremendous numbers person. I mean, this must go so far against the numbers to have this many makeable field goals cost you very important games yeah yeah it definitely goes against the numbers i mean kicking is one of those strange things because so impactful uh so much nervousness and you know feelings of angst around not having that position quote-unquote solved but at the same time it's also random so you see things like the Bucks trading up to get aguayo in the second round or someone paying a lot of money to a kicker or you've seen things, you know, with the uh, with the Vikings where they went and they traded for a kicker who was like a backup for the Ravens, and then he ended up washing out. Like people are just so desperate to get their hands around it because you know it's so impactful, yet you feel like you have no control of what's going on. I mean, if we go through the last couple of years, you have Blair Walsh was a draft pick and was great for a year, yes, and then had a meltdown, and especially after he missed the twenty-seven yarder against Seattle, and then. After that, they tried, let's see, bringing in Kai Forbath, who hits one of the most clutch field goals in Vikings history in the playoffs. Then they draft Daniel Carlson. They cut him after a bad game. He's now tremendous for the Raiders. Then they bring in Dan Bailey, who's like a 90% kicker for his career. He's fine, and then all of a sudden terrible. And then now they go with Greg, yeah. Greg Joseph, and you, you mentioned Kari Vedvik uh, in between there, which was a very strange decision. So it, I, I looked into this last year, Kevin, and there truly is no way to predict who's going to be good year to year at kicking. I mean, it seems like a few guys, Justin Tucker is one of them historically, but aside from that, everybody else is just guessing at this position. Yeah, everyone's guessing. I mean, you can, on a long enough timeline, start – to get an idea of, of who's good or who may not be good. But as those names that you listed out, sometimes, especially with someone like Dan Bailey, I mean, I remember when Dan Bailey was on the Cowboys, right? Mm-hmm. He was made one of the highest paid kickers, maybe the highest paid kicker in the NFL at that point in time. Uh, fantasy leagues, people were like, Dan Bailey, we need to get Dan Bailey. He's so good. And then he falls off. But, you know, sometimes these guys come back. So you're, you're also like at any point in time in their career, 
uh, were so concentrated in what they did, the last kick, the last five kicks, the last ten kicks. And I do think there's a bigger mental aspect in getting the yips and things like that when it comes to kickers that, you know, sometimes if you let them play through it, they'll come back, but you just can't afford to do that as a team a lot of the time. Well, I was thinking about the sample size of this too, and you figure, I mean, now extra points are thrown in, um, but, uh, you know, more as more of a kick that uh, is, is missable. But, I mean, even then, you're making like – 60 kicks a year if you take a lot of them yeah. i mean think yeah. about think about yeah. like if we judge all quarterbacks on 60 passes or all running backs on 60 runs and yet here we are i mean a defensive end gets 60 plays a game that we get to look at and yet it's 60 plays over a year for this guy and i remember looking back at you know mason crosby had a game where i think he missed four and there, there's been right. all sorts of these instances of great kickers just falling apart all of a sudden and then you know coming back and then having great season so it's, it's really hard to predict but missing a uh, 37 yarder indoors um what are the odds of that i mean it's got to be like 90 percent that you make it right oh yeah yeah that, that's that's an over 90 percent kick i mean there might be a discount at the end of the game or something like that but you see for kicking and that's what i also think you know, we, we, we really remember the kicks that, that are missed, of course, so it stands out in our mind. But the percentage of making the kick doesn't really vary that much until you start to get over 40 yards for sure, but more like over 45 yards and then even over 50 yards when it becomes difficult. So, yeah, I mean, those kicks should be as close to a gimme as, as you can have um, other than if you're kicking, you know, from the two-yard line or something. But the Viking quotient was not factored in there. Um, now, right. Now, so give me this, and then we'll move on to what I wanted to talk to you about. Um, just uh, you, Mike Zimmer decided not to be more aggressive at the end of that game to yeah. try to get them closer closer and my view was based on what you just said it was like look a 37 yarder should be like 90 percent or more you should make that and and even though um you know aggressiveness is reward uh, rewarded often in the nfl i still think that you're putting yourself numbers wise in a great position to win that game and the guy just blew it for you but if you run another play and delvin cook fumbles like he did the week before then we're all going what were you doing mike zimmer why why wouldn't you just kick the field goal right i i don't know i don't know how you felt about that yeah i mean i guess it doesn't you're probably okay running some more plays there but the thing is you have a few different things going on uh fumbled like you mentioned i mean let's roughly one to two percent of running plays are are fumbles so we're talking about a kick that's already like a 95 percent plus kick so you're, you're adding that into the equation there's a holding call that can happen on, on some of these plays now yes. maybe that's unlikely um depending on how you do it there's a false start that can happen on these plays so you start to add up the probabilities of each of those negatives i think once you're inside the 20 yard line I'm fine. I'm fine if you're inside the 20-yard line. Now, I understand people complaining about a team that has the ball on the 42-yard line, and then they start, you know, lining up, getting on the right hash mark uh, for their kicker. That sort of stuff doesn't make any sense. But, I mean, we just saw it, right, with Kansas City where Clyde Edwards-Alaire, where they were going to try to pick up the first down and then run out the clock, and he fumbled there, and that changed the game for the Kansas City Chiefs. So, yeah, it can happen, and I think no matter how much confidence you have 
in the running back, especially the way things work now with guys punching at the ball and doing other things. Like, I just don't know if you can really be confident that a fumble will not happen in that circumstance. Yeah, that's exactly how I felt. And the Vikings have been holding a lot. And uh, the NFL is calling yeah. holding penalties more uh, this year. And so I think that that was also a, a significant concern for Mike Zimmer for why he just wanted to line it up. So let's get off kickers and talk about Kirk Cousins because uh, you do uh, analytics quarterback rankings, which always – um, get the internet fired up, let's say that. Um, you take a couple of different factors and you put them together and you here's where everybody stands. And so Kirk Cousins is right now in the top five. Now, historically, yes. he has not spent a lot of time in the top five in, in really anything, like any category, even if you use quarterback <laughs> rating or PFF grade. It's, it's usually in the same sweet spot of being like eighth to 14th, like somewhere in that sort of ballpark. Uh, what are we to make of these first two weeks of Cousins' play? Um, it, can it continue, or do the numbers say it's going to regress? Like, what, what can we learn from the numbers so far? Yeah, I mean, I was looking at his numbers over the last few years, so you're right. Um, I mean, so far this year, it's really his grading, his little bit of his positive grading since he's in, he's one of the top graded guys who's pulling him up, and that's what's getting him into that top four more than his efficiency. And I measure efficiency on the basis of expected points added per play, so that includes running plays, you know, and includes all dropbacks, sacks, all that, all that sort of stuff. So he is, he's having a strong year by his efficiency in an EPA, but it's about the same. You're like, we're right in that same range where he's been ninth, ninth, and tenth over the last few years doing that. And he's at, he's at, you know, he's really in that top five as far as grading is concerned. He was a top six, seven guy, I believe, in grading in 2019. So this isn't totally unexpected for him. But like you mentioned, I think he has been around long enough. He's shown enough that getting up into that real top top tier is probably not something he can maintain and also my rankings are based at least partially on sample size and you know as the course of the season goes on um as they hopefully have the lead in games um and that goes on he's probably going to be one of the lower sample size quarterbacks and he's already a little bit on the low side this season but he'll continue to be on the lower sample size quarterback so he's never going to be the game changer even if he has the efficiency on a play-by-play basis yeah, so I've thought about this a lot with the way that certain quarterbacks are used. Ryan Tannehill is one of them. You know, Jared Goff in Los Angeles is this way, Jimmy Garoppolo, where there's only so much asked of the quarterback. And oftentimes their efficiency numbers, they're like yards per attempt and things like that are good. But the total that they, uh, you know, amass by the end of the season is I think Cousins was at what, like 3,600 yards or something last year and yeah, was 27th yeah. in pass attempts. And I, I think about basketball for this and how like, Kobe Bryant was talked about as being inefficient at times and Allen Iverson was talked about as being inefficient. Uh, but then, you know, it's sort of like, well, but they were their whole offenses. I mean, sometimes, not uh, when Shaq was there, but for Iverson, for sure, he was the whole offense. And I think of that with quarterbacks, yeah. too, where if a quarterback is asked to throw over and over and over and over again as the centerpiece of the offense, his yards per attempt are probably not going to be as high, probably less play action and things like that. I, I guess I wonder what you make of the efficiency versus the uh, the sort of total numbers that quarterbacks put up. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's uh, it's a mix of the two. I mean, Good work has been done by different analytics folks, including Ben Baldwin in particular. Uh, for those who don't follow, don't follow him, please do so. Unless you're maybe a Packers fan, he's like he's going after Rodgers quite a bit in his in, in the past. But that'd be good for Vikings fans. <laughs> right. um, so, 
so he's done some so he's done a lot of work to show that it's tough to find evidence within the within the statistics that you know a better quarterback throws the ball more often or vice versa now he may just be backing into this because he's a russell wilson fan and that would be something that was going against russell wilson for all these years so i i, I do think that once you get to the nfl there's a little bit less to like whether or not you can really say so much about a quarterback as far as how much he throws. But I, I think there's something to it, though. I mean, let's face it. If you subbed out even a great quarterback like Russell Wilson and the quarterback there was, you know, Peyton Manning or Patrick Mahomes or someone else, like I highly doubt that Pete Carroll is going to force the issue to run the ball, you know, half of their plays and continue to do that because there is something to quarterbacks who are really able to handle under any circumstances to go back and pass the ball. And what we've seen with Cousins this year, which has been somewhat of a thing in the past, has continued over this year, despite his excellent overall performance so far this year, he still has an enormous gap between when he's had a clean pocket and when he's been under pressure. And that, again, like if you send the quarterback there back more times, if it's more obvious you're going to pass more often, it's just natural that you're going to face those pressured situations more often. And that may be really a defining factor with a lot of these quarterbacks between elite and a guy who can perform really well in limited circumstances. Right. I, I think about, a, I guess, cross-sport comparisons with stuff like this because uh, I used to cover hockey. And the third liners and fourth liners in hockey would always have these great efficiency numbers. And part of the reason yes. was because they were playing against other third and fourth liners in protected situations. And I think of the same sort of thing is like you don't want your fourth liner playing up against Sidney Crosby and you don't want, you know, Kirk Cousins dropping back 40 times in a game because he'll get pressured more. Uh, the offensive line um, obviously is not built to be able to handle that and hasn't been for a very long time. And I think that it, uh, well, you can have uh, explosive plays like they did against Arizona. You sort of have to rely on those, and you have to rely on getting 14- and 16-yard runs from Delvin Cook. And I think this week as they match up against Seattle, that's that's still very favorable for them. I think you can almost go through the schedule and say, where is it going to be favorable? Check, 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 check. These are the games they're going to be good on offense. Where is it not? Check, 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 right? And I, I, yes. I feel like we can do that before the games are even played out of where they're going to have an advantage and where they won't yeah yeah i mean i, I think that these well, I, I remember a few of these like seattle vikings games have been interesting to say the least um uh in the past so that well that'll continue to play out with two teams that are looking to do a similar philosophy against each other um i mean i think what happens in a lot of the fans mind when it comes to cousins is you have he is he's good enough if you build everything around him that you can win and win well, but if, but you know, you have to build around him. You have to be smart with your spending, uh, very smart with your spending around him with, with how much that his contract is. So he gives you a chance. He fits into this bigger bucket where, you know, we're going to talk about guys like Baker Mayfield and what sort of contract do they, do they deserve? He fits into that too, but there are just going to be plays. And I think you just have to live with the fact that there are going to be plays where you're very frustrated, where maybe he takes a sack, where you felt like he could have done something instead, where maybe he checks down instead of going for a first down. And he's just not going to play out at that at this point. But what you're going to have to try to do is enhance what he can do. And I think that's what the team's done to a degree. But obviously they have salary cap and they're spending a lot of money on a lot of big name players elsewhere. And I think that's probably the bigger overall problem than let's get rid of the quarterback and start over from square one. So do you think that they should put the gas down on him more or 
that they've got it right, and they're just going to have to live with the realities of that and improve on defense. I mean, the defense has just not been good through two games. Um, it's had its moments, but it's mostly been pretty poor, and if not for Daniil Hunter against Arizona, uh, they might have put up 50. So um, I, I guess I wonder about, because we talk about this a lot of, I've sort of joked, and maybe I'll make t-shirts out of it one day, of like, lean into the Kirk. Like, you paid for it. You, mm-hmm. might, as, you might as well let him throw a lot, but as you uh, laid out, there are pitfalls to that, and they have a younger offensive coordinator now, Clint Kubiak, that I don't know has the full um, autonomy to be, uh, you know, changing philosophies or anything, uh, considering who his head coach is. I just wonder what the right thing is to do with a quarterback like that. Yeah, I mean, I think I would lean in a little bit more just earlier in the game. It, it's another one of these these analytics uh, takeaways is there's no such thing as like establishing the run, as some people think. If you're playing against the Minnesota Vikings, you're playing against Dalvin Cook, you're playing against this offense that we've seen, you know, running play action on play one, the linebackers aren't going to say, you know what, the run hasn't been established yet, so I'm not going <laughs> to react, and I'll wait to see later on in the game whether or not this will be effective or not. So that, that's what I would say. It's like allow Kirk Cousins to make the plays which make them very, very effective, which are those play-action plays, which are the plays where hopefully you can make it easier on your blocking. Try to maximize those, especially earlier in the game, because then if you don't do it then, if you don't lean into him a little bit then, the time that you're going to be leaning into them is when you're down multiple scores, um, no one thinks you're going to run the ball. It's, you know, you, you run it a couple of times and it's third down and eight. And then he, you're sending them back there to pass with the uh, pass rushers, you know, pinning their ears back and the defense waiting to make a play on the ball. So those are not his situations. Right. No, I, I totally agree. And I think that, you know, even what we saw against Arizona was second play of the game. It's a play action after Delvin Cook gets a first down. And K.J. Osborne just goes unguarded by Arizona because their secondary is not good, right? I mean, but th- but these are the things that happen when you play aggressively with play action early in the game. And plus, by now, with Mike Zimmer being in this league for so long, everybody thinks you're going to run on first and second down every drive. Right. So I think it plays like your priors play to uh, your advantage here. Um, let me ask you about just defense in general. Like when when do we start judging a defense? Because we know that going into a season, it's very unpredictable. We say, oh, well, they did this on the roster and this on the roster. So they should be good. And then they come out and give up, you know, 61 points in the first two weeks. Uh, When do we start going? uh, This defense might not be good. Or how much patience should we have with the defense? Yeah, I mean, I think you're going to have to have a lot more patience with the defense than with the offense generally just because it's more of a question mark uh, going into the season. As you mentioned, how things lay out on paper versus how they end up playing out during the season are a couple of different questions. I mean, I think what, what you can do is you could say, okay, who have we faced? The offenses that, that, that we faced and, you know, Joe Burrows may be a bit of a question mark so far this year and that offense, but Kyler Murray is a guy who just, who just, he seems to make a lot of plays and he's been able to do that. And he's been a little bit of a high variance guy himself because of the fact that he scrambles around so much and you don't know when this will be a big play or not. So because of that, I think that's a mistake. I would look at things like how are, how is your success rate versus versus um like the efficiency that you're giving up because generally as as time goes on those things are going to start to to even out so i know that uh let me let me look here because timo risque who's another one of our analysts here came out with a piece today and it looks like for the 
for the Vikings defense, they're about in line. But if you look at the success rate that they've allowed and the EPA per play that they've allowed, it's not that bad. I mean, it's not great. It's below average at this point, but it's not catastrophic in, in either direction. So I think you combine that with the fact that they played fairly good offenses. Um, that's one thing. And then another thing you could also look at is are you generating pressures or other things that may be a little bit stickier than the coverage? Because the coverage is very, very important. Um, but it's something that's going to vary a lot based upon these chunk plays, blown coverages, things mm-hmm. like that. Whereas the pressure rate that you're getting, though, that's something that will hopefully translate into sacks as the season goes on. But on a one or two game sample, you could be getting a lot of pressures, but just not getting home as much as you would hope to. Fans are going back to stadiums, so you have to be ready with the best Minnesota football gear. That's why you have to check out Soda Stick. I saw a ton of Soda Stick gear around training camp. I expect to see it in the stadium as well. There are so many cool designs on hats, t-shirts, and hoodies for the fall weather, including the John Randall design that is extremely cool. There's also the straight cash homie Randy Moss homage, can't stop the Thielen hats, and a personal favorite, the old video game designs that Tecmo fans will appreciate check it all out at sodastick.com that is s-o-t-a-s-t-i-c-k.com everything is screen printed here in minnesota and i can tell you that the shirts are comfortable and they last because half of my closet is now soda stick at this point again that's sodastick.com minnesota sports inspired goods and keep your eye out for our soda stick giveaways when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, and I think that uh, also when you revamp a defense and you bring in so many new pieces, it's just a lot to ask for them all to be together in lockstep. And we've seen a couple of blown coverages and a couple of you know technical mistakes that have resulted in big plays, and I think that those things will change. But here's my question is, will it matter if they change? I mean, because if they go 0-3 with a 17-game season and an extra playoff spot, you're – still not completely dead but it's going to feel like that especially with Cleveland coming in 0-4 how does that change the formula Um, because that's a thing that you know I haven't really seen out there maybe you have um, for how it's different if they lose to Seattle and they go 0-3 like then we then we have to sort of throw out who cares if the defense will eventually get better right or or do we um, now that the landscape is a little different from those you know traditional numbers that we've seen teams that start whatever end up whatever yeah, I mean, it's hard. I mean, you, you could say, oh, well, let's figure out a way to try to increase, you know, some sort of randomness or variance with how we play. But the problem is, and I think this could come into a lot of different circumstances when it comes to teams is, you know, if you're not, if you're, if you're giving up like your efficiency, if you're giving up how good you think you will be overall in order to increase the randomness that you may need to dig out of a hole, whether it's a record hole or a hole in a particular game, um, it really hurts a lot to, to do something like that. One classic example is 
you know, if you're a team that has doesn't have as good of a chance to win, maybe you'll run the ball a lot because then there'll be fewer player plays in the game, and that'll give you a higher chance to win. Well, the problem is if you're just decreasing your efficiency as an offense, then it pretty much kills any benefit that you get to increasing the randomness. So I don't know. I think for it's just too early in the season, and you know, Zimmer obviously is a very qualified and uh, well-respected head coach that you probably just have to lean further into correcting the mistakes and trying to play that way going forward than doing anything major and just, just hope that things turn around and, you know, maybe even hope within that division, there's some chance of getting there because there, there could be three, four teams coming out of the NFC West this year. So you don't think they're toast exactly, but kind of, uh, I don't think so. I mean, I, unfortunately we've seen this a little bit before last year with a slow start, which then ended up translating into a little bit of a run. So, I don't know. I think 0-3 is close. 0-4 is, is – I'll say 0-4 is definitely toast. 0-3 is close, so you're going to want to win this game this week. Yes, yeah, I think they do. <laughs> I think that's very important <laughs> to keeping the season going. Uh, let me, uh, let's me let play a quick game before we wrap up. Um, I won't make you do trivia on Vikings uh, quarterback stat lines this time, although you did a good job last time. I just – I'm going to – I want to throw an NFC team at you and ask you if they're good. Uh, so are the Dallas Cowboys good? I mean, I'm going to say no. I haven't been a believer in them, though, vis-a-vis other teams in the NFC East so far this year. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm just not a believer in that defense. I think that defense is one of the worst. So I, I'm going to I'm going to give a no on that. But you never. But hey, it, it could turn around. Plus, I think the Eagles may be a little bit better than some people think. Yeah, I think so too. Um, the uh, Carolina Panthers, the Vikings will play them right before the bye week. They good. I think they're solidly mediocre. I mean, that's what that's what I would say. I think Sam Darnold has been put into a much, much better situation, but I don't think he's a totally different person. So I feel like they're a team that could be league average offense and a league average defense uh, this year. But for them, that's that's a good thing. That's a step up from what we've seen in the past. Are you convinced that the Packers are good after their whooping of the Lions? Yeah, I'm pretty convinced that the Packers, the Packers are good. I mean, I don't think we're going back to – uh, necessarily MVP Aaron Rodgers for the rest of the season, but whenever you have a an elite first ballot Hall of Fame top three quarterback, I'm always going to put you into the good category. Okay, and the final rapid fire would be the Los Angeles Rams of Los Angeles. Do we believe that they are good? Because this was my team that I sort of said uh, the hype, and you know I've seen a lot of Matt Stafford in my life here covering the Vikings, and I've never thought that he was a guy who just magically elevated his team. Um, but they are two and zero, and a little bit of a rough ride in Indianapolis. Uh, are you buying into them as a legit contender? Yeah, I mean. I'm in the same category as you, so <laughs> I'll do one of these things where I'll say, no, I'm not buying into him as a, as a legit contender, but then I also know that I'm biased on this, so maybe, so maybe <laughs> they really should be. So so I'll vote against myself and say they're not a contender at the same time. Well, I think that they got a pretty favorable first couple of opponents playing Chicago yes. with Andy Dalton and then whatever is left of Carson Wentz's corpse uh, to be able to, yeah. and to only win by three. So uh, I will. And also remember the year that Stafford played, what was it? Maybe seven games or something. He was lighting the world on fire and everyone said, right. Oh, look, this is Stafford. This is the real him. I've seen him come so close 
to having these amazing seasons and winning years. And then there's always the regression that hits with him because that's like a high variance quarterback who takes risks and throws the ball down the field a lot and makes a lot of mistakes. So I, yeah, we'll, we'll hold yeah. off on this. We'll circle back on this one, uh, Kevin. Later we'll see in if, if Cooper cup continues to be, uh, He's, he's actually invisible, I think, on some of these plays. The way he goes down to the field and no one seems to, to guard him. Uh, I mean, I love Dan or- Orlovsky, but when he tried to say in that week one game where he was 15 yards behind everyone that Stafford manipulated everyone with, <laughs> yes. with his eyes, I was like, you know, yeah, you can get a one-on-one that way. You can maybe get a little bit of coverage. You can't get someone behind the defense by by four different defenders by 20 yards with manipulating with your eyes. So well, well, plays like that, that's you're going to have to see. is it, That's going to regress, obviously, as the season goes on. Yeah, if his eyes were that magical, he'd have more playoff wins, I think. <laughs> anyway, so. Yeah. Maybe he got LASIK like James. Oh, yeah, that's season. right. <laughs> That's right. Uh, Kevin Cole at Kevin Cole PFF on Twitter, the unexpected points podcast. Uh, Kevin, always great to get together with you. Love your perspective and uh, do not ever stop tweeting out charts that make people upset. That's what they love. That, that's, that's what I'm here for. I'm just a stat jockey. All right. Thanks, Kevin. All right. Take it easy.